Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. I have a LinkedIn rock star with me today. I have I have admired Alex's work from afar. And it, it's a beautiful thing a lot of times when you can admire someone's work from afar and then you get the opportunity to sit down with them like I am today. You can go to LinkedIn and find him, Alex, A-L-E-X, Elaine, A-L-L-E-Y-N-E, but you can find him right here, right now, on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Alex Elaine is my guest today. Alex, how are you? I am absolutely fantastic. Thank you for the lovely intro, Brian. It's Friday afternoon and I've got that Friday feeling. So thanks for having me on. Well, and, and again, it, it's it's a, an amazing thing, the power of a podcast and, and the power. And if you're watching us on YouTube, Alex is in London. I am in West Virginia. There's a five-hour time difference between where we are so as we're recording this it's morning for me and it's end of day for him but i'm so glad that we could make this happen and alex i want to start here and and i've started here with with a lot of of different folks the last and and this podcast has been around since the first part of april to 2020 i would have never dreamed that we would still be battling some of the things that we battled not only here in the States, but, but around the globe with, with the COVID-19 pandemic, how has, how has it affected you where you are? I'm always curious to learn that. And I'd love to know a lesson that you've learned from the pandemic that after it's over with, that you'll continue to follow or you continue to, to put in practice after this thing is over. Sure. Yeah. I think, there's things that have been learned both personally and professionally, right? So I think there's been a bit of a, a journey of self-discovery through this, but also a number of adjustments, right, that have had to be made in terms of role and, and career. So maybe I'll just lightly t- touch on each. I think personally, uh, being kind of stripped away from some of the, the social aspects, and, I, you know, I'm a bit of a social animal, love getting out there, meeting customers. It, it's certainly not been easy. But I've really had to make sure that I I wake up every day with a real structure and discipline around how I go about that day. Um, I think it became became easier than ever to kind of wake up, roll out of bed, let your your day dictate uh, to you. But I came to realize that I, I needed to really make sure that I had you know, my day in a tight grip, right? I I woke up at the same time, made sure that all of the activities and just had a real laser, laser focus, probably more than I'd ever had before. I think professionally, seeing the shift in terms of the way customers were thinking, a lot of customers had almost gone from playing offense to defense in the way that they made decisions. And so uh, bringing in a bit of American football here in in the way I talk about this, but, um, you know, making sure that, business cases were really tight, that there was a clear realization for customers around the return on their investment. Mm -hmm. I think that just became more important than ever before. 
because of that shift from offense to defense. Alex, you were t that that is so good. I love what you said there because there is a term in American football called sudden change. And it's and it's what happens either when the offense fumbles or throws an interception and the defense now suddenly has to come on the field or the defense gets an interception or a fumble and the offense now has to to get on the field. And so literally in in a a 24-hour period we went into that sudden change, right? Where where everything that we were doing business personal every part of our lives was in sudden change. I love what you said about having the day in a tight grip because sudden change can so interrupt that grip and it can so put a, 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 a it, it can literally force that grip open. How were you able to, in the midst of what felt like continual sudden change, how were you able to keep such a tight grip on the day? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one, actually, Brian, because I'd say um, there's a mantra uh, that I was taught, actually, by someone, uh, which they were talking about the fact that when some of us go into our work day, we almost turn on that switch, right? It's, it's work time, it's grind time, it's, you know, beast mode, however you want to refer to it. And the person said to me, instead of turning on that switch or turning on beast mode, why not just be a beast? Right. And what, what they're really the essence of what they were saying is that when it comes to discipline and routine, a lot of the time we almost think about a second version of ourselves that yeah. is disciplined and all of those things. Right. That maybe the Brian alter ego. But the, the realization was to say, why not just innately be that person? And so yeah. I almost have to have that conversation with Alex to say, who am I in terms of who are the principles of who I am fundamentally? And then making that and really embodying that in every aspect of my life and morning routine then just became really an innate, innate part of who I am and how I operate. So I just drilled down on that uh, a lot more. It's funny that you mentioned that because I think a lot of people have those disciplines but but they're more habitual disciplines, right, Alex? It, it is get up, take a shower, get dressed for the day, eat breakfast, walk the dog if you have to. Um, just they become habitual, right? They're just in, ingrained in the mind of I've got to do this, 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 and this instead of the discipline of how am I going to prepare myself and attack the day and i've said this to, to people on linkedin you and i have a lot of of mutual friends is is what i've said is is if you don't start your day encouraged in some way shape or form then you can throw everything else out the window because an encouraged mind is a prepared mind and we talked about sudden changes a minute ago that sudden change is now easier to internalize and and, and develop a game plan from it but but it's hard to do when you don't wake up encouraged. When, again, like you talked about, being a beast, having that that mentality of I'm here to attack the day. I'm here to to get things done. When you think about let, let's, I was going to go here in just a few minutes, but I think it, it it fits now to to kind of pivot here. 
when you think about salespeople and you coach salespeople, you work with sales, I, I have a, a deep sales background myself. Literally, a salesperson's day can change hour by hour. I mean, you, you, you know, and I can remember I was in B2B sales for a lot of years here in the States. And you can get a phone call that will change who you go see, what you go do, how you react, how you act in a certain way. How did you keep that internal discipline within yourself? And how did you transmit that to other people that you were working with and coaching during that time of sudden change? Yeah, no, really interesting uh, question, right, Brian? I, I think it's centered on on a couple of things. Uh, one is prioritization and, and two is being outcome driven. And so you're spot on, right, Brian? In, in all of our days, things come up, up, down, left, right. You can get pulled from pillar to post. And so how do you then effectively prioritize in those scenarios becomes absolutely critical, right? And so when you've got 10 different things on your list, I always made sure that I had a clear focus on what are the outcomes I need to drive today by when and how am I going to how am I going to prioritize those things to make sure that I'm in a position where you know if the decisions need to be made I can very quickly and easily make them because I pre-prioritize that I love I that the outcomes of the day because Alex I, I think a lot of times we we get so focused on the the and, and again I love the reference you made to American football I don't think a lot of people watch the game and, and I and I look at soccer, which is very popular in, in Great Britain. A lot of folks do not realize that it it literally in soccer it's minute to minute in the game of soccer. You know, what what happens in the forty-fourth minute can carry over into the forty-sixth, forty-seventh, forty-eighth minute. It's it's and ultimately it's it's the it's the working to that 90th minute of, of the of the soccer match to where you know that seems to be the climax, but you can look at different minutes of that match and say, well, this was a pivotal minute in the match. This was a pivotal minute. If we go back and, and study it and look minute to minute, there were there there was territory gained and lost, maybe by possession and things like that. And so I love what you said about focusing on the outcome of the day, because a lot of times, and especially from my experience, salespeople tend to look at the outcomes of the week, the month, the year, because it, it all is working to a number, right? It's all working to that, to that end goal. But I love what you said about focusing on the outcomes of the day. How hard is it in your experience to get that mind shift thinking to think about the outcomes of the day rather than the week, month, and year? Well, I think it's really important to get as granular as you can with comfort, right? And so the day is kind of the second step for me in a way, Brian. What I really try and focus on is even getting to that point on, a, on an hourly basis. And so I often describe the way that I work in a sprint style. And this is part of why I talk quite a lot to American football, um, uh, and I watch it quite a lot because of that concept of kind of sprint, pause, sprint, pause, right? Yeah. And that's often the way I work. I, I, I break out the day into deep work slots. And so when I say deep work, that means I eliminate all distractions. 
during that and I have an outcome at the end of that particular deep work block that is centered towards the outcomes for the day. So, you know, I might have four key outcomes for the day, but that's split across four deep work blocks. And then I take regular breaks. So I don't necessarily get myself in this mix of where I see some people say, hey, I just did eight hours straight. How productive were you in that eight hours? Right? Yeah. You might have been in front of your computer for eight hours, but probably got 45 minutes or an hour of impactful work. Alex, I love where you're going there. I've got to go here for just a minute. Sure. Forgive me for jumping in there. You, you, in, in, in the analogy of American football is so beautiful. I love the way you said that. A lot of times there's a statistic in American football called time of possession. In a 60-minute game, typically the team that possesses the ball the longest should have a better outcome. And to your point about, oh, I've grinded for eight hours. Time of possession does not equate to points on the scoreboard. You can be, you can have the ball for 24 minutes, but if you score five touchdowns in those 24 minutes, you're, you know, people will say, well, your opponent had the ball 36 minutes. Yeah, but we scored five times in, in, in less. It took us less time to score more points than it did our opponent to 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 score. You know, they didn't score as, as many points as we did, but they held the ball for more time. And I love what you said because I think a lot of times we disguise, we disguise effort for execution. In other words, we focus on the effort. Boy, man, I, I grinded. I worked a 10-hour day. But how much did you get accomplished? And I love what you said there. Would you go a little deeper into that for us? Because again, that that is that is, folks. This this is revelatory conversation. If if the light bulb is not going off in your mind, this is this is really good stuff, Alex. Go go a little deeper there, if you would. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always have these three letters in my mind, right? Three letters that I'm sure we all know: ROI. And so I always ask myself the question. How do I drive the best return on investment on my time? Because I can make as much money in the world. I can manufacture more product, create more services. The one thing I cannot manufacture more of is time. And so every waking second and minute is the most critical second and minute out there, right? Because we can never claw it back. So I almost have this obsession in my own mind of how do I drive that best ROI on every deep work hour that I have? And if you, I sometimes say to people to put a billable rate, you know, on your own time in your own mind. So, you know, if you're in a full-time role, you get a salary, right? But really get to the crux of saying, man, if I was billable at a thousand dollars or a thousand pounds an hour or $2,000 or 2000 an hour, how would you spend every hour, right? If it's, $2,000 is gone every single hour that goes, how would you spend it? You'd be far more impactful, right, in the work that you do and obsess much more around the outcomes that you drive within those times. So I think that people really got to get specific and start to have that laser focus on the outcomes. Man, I love that. Let's step aside, take a quick break. Sure. We come back. I want to dive into a little bit more of the, the, the encouragement to salespeople. 
because I don't I I, I believe and and I want to also I don't want to leave the business owners out. I know there are a lot of folks that that are small business owners, they're coaches, they're they're salespeople. So we want to give some intentional encouragement around that. My guest is Alex Elaine joining me here on the Intentional Encourager podcast back in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Alex, let's let's now dive into this a little bit deeper because, again, I, I, we, I don't know that, that people in general – put a billable rate on their personal time. We always look at that as professional time and personal time. You know, uh, I may watch football on my personal time. I may spend time with my wife, my son, I mean, you know, in, in the, in that personal time, putting a billable rate on it. When you think about that concept, what tends to happen in the mind around putting a billable rate on your time because there might be people that say well hey i just want to go for a bike ride i just want to decompress i want to explore that billable rate on our our personal times a little bit deeper can go a little deeper there on on that concept absolutely and and brian i love the fact that you frame it as a concept because that is exactly what it is this is this is brain conditioning right i'm really what i'm trying to condition in my own mind when i say that is to really think about how you can maximize the time that you are putting into whatever it is that you're doing. How can you maximize the impact? So to your point, if you're spending time with your son, how do you really be present in that moment, right? And not be the person who's, you know, 50% thinking about the next email and 50% present with your son. If you're going for that bike ride, how do you just be truly in that moment of the bike ride? if that's the thing that helps you decompress and again, not be kind of 75% in and 25%. Well, we can get there with scrolling, Alex. I mean, I love where you're heading with this concept because a lot of times, and I have to watch myself and, and it's funny because I said something to my wife this morning, we, we have become a scrolling society. We're with the other person that, that, that we're with and we want to be present, but we're, taking our, you know, we're taking our phones and, and we're, we're scrolling, we're scrolling, we're scrolling. And, you know, it's, it's, it's that brain conditioning. How do we flip that switch to say, I am going to be prepped because it's a great theory. 
And I think a lot of people want to be present in the moment, present with that person they're with and maximize that time. So. But but it, it gets to the point, Alex, where, to where the the distraction comes here and then it goes to, to you know, from the mind to the fingers. and to, In your experience, what is something that you've done to take that out of play and really be present and maximizing that time? Yeah, uh, a lot of it comes back to the principles of structure and discipline. And this is why it's not a case of not being able to do certain things, right? A, a balanced life involves all of these types of things. But it's understanding that there's a time and a place for different aspects. Now, when you've got structure and discipline, it puts you in a position where you can intentionally say, you know what, this is my hour where I just do what I want. If I want to go and scroll on social media, I scroll on social media. If I want to spend an hour on Instagram or LinkedIn, this is my hour to do exactly that. But this next hour is time with my son, it's time with my family. And that's exactly what I'm going to do within this particular time. Because I think that what people sometimes can get in the position is, is that to your point, they're, they're, they're there, but they're not really there, right? Um, I remember a teacher saying to me many years ago, uh, you know, when I was much, much younger and they said, Alex, you hear, but you don't listen, you know, and this was in primary school. And I remember that I, uh, I never, ever forgot it. It stuck with me because in essence, what was happening is I was hearing the words that was coming out of his mouth, but it was just kind of flying over my head. And we and, do that a lot with customers, Alex, you know, it, I've done that with customers in my sales career. Yeah. It is that I have been engaged in conversation, but I didn't really hear what they said. I thought I was listening. I thought I was intent in the conversation. And I'll share this with you in the audience. For me, the challenge that I really had to learn how to teach my mind was when I was having that personal conversation to make and keep eye contact. And I felt like that for me made me a better listener because then I was able to compartmentalize parts of that conversation and pull out those nuggets and say, oh, I love what you said there, right? I love what, and, and so again, it, it now in, in the other person's mind, it now opens their mind to say, my goodness, that, you know, Eureka, they're, they're getting what I'm saying. And I love what you talk about the, the, the structure of the hour. I think we're so focused on the day that we forget about the hour. Sure. How do, how do, when you coach salespeople, how do you get that mindset to flip to focusing on the hour? You said that two or three times during this conversation so far. Sure. I am so interested in, in the concept of, of, of capturing the hour, because here's the thing. The script and forgive me for the long-winded question, but the scriptures talk about redeeming the hour. The Bible breaks it down very granularly. And 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 back in those days, obviously they didn't have near the distractions of the time that we have today. So how do you train and coach and help salespeople focus on redeeming the hour? Sure. Interesting question. I often have this mantra, Brian, which is 
to focus on the metrics that matter, right? When we're talking to salespeople, big picture. And what I mean by that is just, again, talking pretty high level, right? If a salesperson has a target of 1.2 million a year, my question is, right, well, that's 100,000 per month. What activities do you need to do then per week to drive that per month? Then what activities do you need to do every day to drive that weekly number? And then we get distill that down to an hour, right? And so the point I'm making is you've got to understand what are the metrics that matter? What are the numbers that are going to drive your big picture success? And then how do we work those backwards as granularly to what you need to do on an hourly basis to make sure that not only do you hit 100% of your annual goal, but you go and crush 300% because you know exactly what you need to do. So it's all about getting them that, really that path to success, getting them on board with understanding that driving this impact in the hour is not just a fun activity, it's yeah. driving real impact so you can go out there and crush it. I've got to, I've got to go here, Alex, because I was looking in your, in your LinkedIn profile and something that you said there is something that you're touching on here. And that's disruption. You have worked with a lot of disruptive organizations. And what you're talking about really is disrupting the norm of your life, disrupting the norm of your business. And we think about disruptors as, as, as basically wrecking balls, right? Wrecking, wrecking industries, wrecking, you know, and we, we can, you know, the, the apples, the Amazons, the, the, the people that just said, there's a different way of doing this. And, and in, initially the resistance that came from the marketplace that said, no, that we've always done it this way, or we've always done it that way. When you talk about a disruptive mindset, what's the first piece of pushback that you get from folks and how do you encourage them through that resistance? Because I hear you talk about these things and it's profound and powerful, but it's also very disruptive. How do you push through that? A lot of the time people don't like change, Ryan, right? As we all know, to your point, people resist change. So to, to work past that, I've always found this understanding how people in their own minds define and measure success because it's different and unique to each and every person. So it's really getting under the covers of what is that person's why? What does success look like in their mind, right? And then finding a way to align that vision or when we talk about disruption or innovation, finding that blend between those sentiments and their worldview, right? Trying to kind of that push down approach of pushing something on someone never lasts long because they're not bought in. And the only way to get them bought in is to create a unified view around what those outcomes look like. Man, I love that. Creating a unified view because what I was thinking when you said that, Alex, is when I was, when I was a young salesperson, I was 22 the first time that I got a, a full-time sales job. And man, boy, I wish I could go back in time now at 49 and put my arm around 22-year-old me and say, this is really the... Because I thought the keys to success were 
you know, technique and you've really got to push the product and things like that. What I didn't understand, Alex, was people buy connection before they ever make a transaction. And now I know that in my late 40s. I know that with the experience of time. And I wish I could go back. But but I love what you said about creating that unified view and how people measure their own success. Because some people just say to themselves, well, I just hope I'm competitive. And, and you don't, you can't develop a winning mindset just hoping you're competitive. Right. I mean, you, you know, uh, Manchester, I, I'll use a, a, a I'll use a, a European football man. U doesn't go out to every match going, boy, I hope we can be competitive. They have built a global brand based on the fact that they're one of the top football clubs in the world. They're only putting the best athletes in the world for 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 soccer, as we call it here in the States, that you guys call it football over in Europe. They're only putting the best football players on the pitch that they can find. They're not interested in just being competitive. They want to be dominant, and they will spend the money, and they will bring in the, the best talent that they can, not just to be competitive, but to be dominant. I've got to go here with you, Alex, because you bring it up. You're just, you're just continuing to, to, to just give us great stuff. When does a person, when does a salesperson realize in your experience that being competitive is not enough? And how, how have you helped people in the past look past just being competitive? In other words, I, I just hope that, that I can win a game or two here, so to speak, or I can get a deal or two here, you know, be better than my competition Instead of that mindset of every time that, because it took me a long time, forgive me again for, it took me a long time to understand my competitive advantage against people that I competed with. It took me a long time to figure that out. But once I figured it out, I walked into every customer knowing what I did better than my competition. How hard is it today for people to find their own competitive advantage? What I'd say to that, Brian, is that, you know, I mentor a number of different sales individuals. And when I'm having the scoping calls before we decide whether there's a fit to work together, there's certain ingredients that I'm looking for more than anything else, more than existing performance and track record. Not overly interested in that. The thing I'm really looking for is passion, drive, and hunger. Because that side of a person, I can't teach. Sometimes you can ignite it, you can, you know, trigger it if it's already there. You can't teach that. So fundamentally, the way I look at what you've just described is that person has to choose greatness. If they don't choose greatness and they can't already bring to the table the appetite and the will to win, I'm not really interested, Brian, because there's a reason why not only in sales, but in every aspect of life, You've got a 1% elite and then you've got everyone else. And I have an acceptance and an understanding that everyone else is the majority. And there's a lot of people not saying it makes anyone better or worse than another. Right. When they go to work, collect their check and go home. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But if you want to go and do more and you want to go and do the Manchester United and crush it, 
you've got to go and have a will to win that I can't teach. And if anyone, seeing as we're talking soccer, goes and look at Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, arguably best player on the planet, go and look at how he trains. Go and look at how he obsesses over the game. Go and look at his diet. Every aspect of the way that Cristiano performs his thinking and his mentality is elite and it's uncommon, right? It's not what you're going to see when you just open your front door. So all of this is an individual decision, in my opinion. Well, and, and Ronaldo made that decision a long time ago. He didn't just decide last year, I want to be the greatest on the planet. Neither did Lionel Messi. Neither did, and before that, before them, you know, and I'll go back a ways, a guy like David Beckham, who, who you know, uh, who, who came to L.A. and played for the L.A. Galaxy, uh, you know, and, and the, these, these elite players that you're, you know, the LeBron James of American basketball, Michael Jordan, uh, the great, Amer I was thinking about something and we'll step aside here in a minute and take a break. But I was thinking about something as you were saying that. We've talked a lot about American football. There are really, really good players. Really good players that don't make NFL rosters. They're, they're very talented players. But to your point, it, it's getting over that hump. And maybe they went to a bigger college here in the States and started at that bigger school, but yet somebody at a smaller school just had that passion, passion, hunger, and drive that they didn't, that, that pushed them to that next level. And they would not be denied. They would not, they, they just, whatever I have to do to get on the field, whatever I have to do to make this team, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And man, I love what you said there. We could, we could park there for, for a minute. Let's step aside and take a break because I do want to leave room to tell Alex a story. And that's why I wanted to have him on because folks behind every great person that you see that's come on this podcast, there's a story. And I want to get into Alex's story. My guest, Alex Elaine, here on the Intentional Encourager podcast back in just a moment. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. We are in the season of gift giving. Everywhere you go, whether you go to a store, you go online, the gifts are out to be gotten. I've got a gift idea for you I think you're going to love. It's my book, People Buy From People. Ten powerful people lessons from the ultimate people person, my dad. If you know someone that would love to be a better connector, or you want to help them get there, People Buy From People is for them. Leaders, if you've got teams that you want to connect better, deeper, powerful, both internally and externally, People Buy From People is for them. If you want to connect like you've never connected before, pick up a copy of People Buy From People. You might say, Brian, where do I get a copy? Very simple. Go to Amazon.com, search People Buy From People, Brian Sexton. You'll find it right there. There's also a Kindle version available and an Audible version read by me. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and go today, get your copy, People Buy From People. I promise you, you won't regret it. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Courage Podcast. Alex, I want to now dive in and, and just leave room to tell your story. And I want you to go as far back as you want to go, and I want to give you the room, and I'll jump in with a question or two. But 
I would be honored if you would tell the audience your story here on the Intentional Courage podcast. Absolutely, be my pleasure. So growing up, I grew up in a predominantly single parent household by my mother. And so I often talk about the fact that I, I grew up with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, right? Something to prove to my father, something to prove to, to others that I could be something, right? And become something. So growing up, I, uh, at a very young age, age 13, had started an eBay store, a uh, very successful one at that. Uh, I remember because I wanted a PlayStation. We couldn't afford one. I asked my mother and um, we weren't in a position to, to do that. So uh, always very entrepreneurial, right? Finding a way, making it happen. And, um, you know, fast forward to what you guys call college and we call university. I got I to gotta stop you there. Please. You started an online business at 13 years old. What was, the, you talked about the passion, the hunger and the drive. How did you get the idea, though, to know what you wanted to sell and know how to, 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 to be able to effectively serve the marketplace at 13? My goodness, my man, that's, that's a wow factor moment. It's pretty crazy when I think back. Brian, I just wanted that PlayStation so bad. <laughs> I remember thinking back and, um, you know, it lit a little fire in me, right? Uh, everyone around me had it. I didn't have it. And I said... I've got to find a way. And at that age, things like that can, can really get to you. So um, I just remember in the playground being that kid that was buying and selling the sweets, right? I was always finding a way, buying something, putting some margin on it, selling it for more. eBay had the same concept, but online. So when I came across it and I said, hey, there's this online marketplace, I can buy something and then do something to it and then sell it for more. And that was exactly how I started, actually. I started buying uh, phones that were damaged. I was refurbing them and then selling them with margin. And then I started to find a load of different things, got into drop shipping. And next thing I knew, I was doing really, really well for my age. Um, so it all just came from that burning hunger, right? And then fast forward to uh, college or university and... There was a big pivot point for me here, Brian, because I got a full scholarship studying law um, at age 19. And this was exactly, I guess, what my mother and my family had dreamed of, right? Alex can now become a lawyer. This is, you know, the, the, the most amazing thing in the world. And eight months in, I dropped out. And I dropped out because I had absolutely no passion for it. I didn't never wanted to be a lawyer. I actually always innately wanted to be a salesperson. Everything in me felt like this was my home. And I decided to go against the grain and chase my passion. And so when I talk about this chip on the shoulder mentality, it continued to live with me through all of these years. Because when I dropped out, I had that same chip that mm -hmm. I was going to go out there, build a world-class sales career and show everyone that the sacrifice was worth it. Did you feel like that, that, that doing the eBay business that you did, do you feel like that was really what lit the fire for you, seeing what you could do in sales? Because I love the ingenuity that you had. You saw a need. 
you said, hey, I can sell refurbished. Because again, thinking about, it, it feels like to me when you're telling this story, it is very innate what you've done. It, it, it feels like you've had an innate sense of the marketplace, of things around you that you could impact. And, and I got to think as I'm, as I'm putting myself in, in and, and you're telling the story and I'm kind of putting myself in that moment, it, it feels like that, that that eBay store was really the impetus for you to drive you to find that love of sales. When you look back, do you feel like that was a defining moment in your life for how the rest of your life was going to turn out? I think it's a great spot, Brian. I think it had far more impact than I appreciated for many years. I think it's only recently that I've gained a bit more of an appreciation for that moment. It was quite funny that recently I was going back looking through my emails from back then. And I remember just seeing all of the eBay notifications because I've still got that inbox, luckily. And I just sat there and I, I had this grin on my face and I was really blown away because I, I couldn't actually believe what I had done at that time. And so I really do think it, it lit a fire on me, under me that I didn't really appreciate until very recently, actually. But you, know, you might have so, thought you wanted to go back in time and hire 15-year-old Alex to, 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 to sell some stuff, you know? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but it's a blessing, you know, and I'm, I'm humbled and grateful. You, you had that innate, that innate desire to be a salesperson. And, and here's where I wanted to go with that in telling your story is that the, the moxie that you have to have at that young of an age to say, this is what I want to do, because I didn't find it until I was in my early twenties. I had, I had my, my father was a salesperson. I had uncles that were salespeople. I wanted to go be a sports writer until I understood that I enjoyed making money. I didn't want to give up the two part-time jobs that I had in college to work for free for the school newspaper. And I thought, well, I'll just get into sales. My dad's done it. My uncle, because in the early 1990s, I think people just kind of fell into sales like, oh, that's a good career. You know, anybody can do that. What I learned was anybody couldn't do that. Take me to the point where you have the conversation. You want to drop out of university. You have a full scholarship. What was that internalization like? And, and take me to the moment that you had to have a sit down with your mom and say, this is what I want to do. Because you mentioned a few minutes ago. It was a very proud moment for your family. Your family was so excited for you. You were going to be an attorney, study law. And it, and it felt like as you were saying that it was their path for you, but it wasn't your path for you. Take me through that conversation that you had to have with your mom and say, this is really not the passion, hunger, and drive that I have. One of the toughest of my life, Brian, if not the, um, when I explained it I think no one could understand it and I understood why that was the case because how can you believe in this vision that doesn't really feel tangible right and so I think that everyone struggled to really make any sense of it and the reality is everyone thought I was crazy 
And I remember going home crying, you know, uh, 19, just in my bedroom, crying, crying, crying. And then I just remember this moment where I snapped out of it and I kind of, you know, hit the floor and I said, right, I'm going to show everyone. I said, I'm going to show them, right? Just like the world, it was kind of this me against the world type of feeling. And I'd already lined up a job at a, uh, really uh, as a BDR or an SDR uh, for a printer and, and copiers business, which at that time was viewed as really, you know, the, the grind, you know, being in a, a bit of a boiler room type of environment, right? So hundreds and hundreds of calls per day, just hammering, 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 just trying to book appointments. But this, you can imagine after what I'd gone through, Brian, I just had a fire that was indescribable in me, you know, first in, last out, just relentless because I was like, I've got to show everyone and I've got to show myself this was worth it. So I absolutely just put my everything in. Within three months, I'd broken all of the records for any BDR or SDR in the history of the company. I remember that the managing director of the business gave me his season ticket uh, box to uh, the, the next Arsenal game. And uh, I got to go to that Arsenal game. And uh, at that time, I was hooked. And I said, this sales game, this I'm at home. You know, I, I just remember that was like the, the moment after all those awards and recognition within three months. And I said, I'm at home. This is me. When you were when you were going through that, and, and I want to pull some conversation out of here, out of that for just a moment, because a lot of people that start businesses do that. It's, it is 15, 16, 17, 18 hour days. It's, it's immersing yourself in everything. And it sounds to me like Alex, that's exactly what you did. Thinking back to that moment, what was the greatest lesson you learned from that moment of immersing yourself in that three month period? What's the greatest lesson you've you learned from that period that you still carry to this day with you? I feel that when you've got a goal, you've got to get after it. And there's a lot of talk in this era, which I completely understand. And I don't want to undermine about the importance of balance, wellness, taking your time off, taking your rest. Let me not undermine the importance of that. By the same token, I chose to do what I loved. I gave up a path that was manufactured to do what I love. And so that relentless will to win and that attack mindset for a goal is something that I have to this day and is still fundamental to everything I do. A large part of that is because I love what I do, right? And so I'm less focused on this concept of balance in the pure sense of it because it's very much so a turn on, turn off. Whereas I feel that in life, when you pursue your passion, what you love, it's less about balance. It's just about finding harmony in your life, right? And that's a big part of why I'm here on this podcast with you, Brian, actually on a day off when I should on paper, just have my feet up relaxing. Yeah. Same here. Game, right. I love this game and I'd love nothing more than to be on here with you right now. 
I got to ask this. If you could go back and coach yourself in that three-month period, you now, you get the opportunity to go in and you find young Alex Elaine and you say, come with me. I'm going to coach you and I'm going to mentor you. What would you, how would you have coached you then knowing what you know now? Sure. So I guess if we look at the two sides of, or two of the sides of selling, right? You've got, as I say, the passion, drive and hunger, and then you've got the science, right? The structure, the methodologies, the process. I had that previous side at 200% and I had the other side probably at about 3%, right? I, I didn't have any structure, no process, no science behind anything I was doing. I was just looking at accounts, looking at office addresses, and I was getting out there going from door to door and picking up the phone as many times as I could. Didn't really think about anything but doing that. Uh, because at the time, my manager said, if you pick up the phone a hundred times, you know, you're basically guaranteed to get a meeting. So I thought if I pick it up 500 times, I'll get five meetings. So I'd go and grab that Alex and I'd add the science, the structure, the focus to all of the energy, passion and enthusiasm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's amazing the things that if we could go back in time and tell ourselves and teach ourselves that we would, I want you to take me real quick through the biggest obstacle that you've overcome or the biggest challenge in your life that you've overcome and what was the greatest lesson that you took from it? Yeah. I mean, I think that biggest challenge in itself, a lot of it roots from, I would say my origin story in a, in a big way. I think coming up without that stability in the home, I actually went to, to private schools for uh, pretty much the majority of my education, but I wasn't the person who, you know, was kind of going back to a fantastic home and the supercars, which a lot of my peers were, it was a sacrifice that my mother made to put me in that position. And so I think one of the biggest obstacles was kind of navigating those mental hurdles of not allowing my starting point to define my finish point. And I think when you're in that position, it's very, very easy to get swayed into temptations or um, sometimes taking the wrong path in life. But I was always able to have this resiliency, this focus, this discipline in myself to go against the grain and find a way to win in any given circumstance. And that was one thing that my mother always instilled in me. She said, Alex, you always find a way to win. And that's been a mantra of my whole entire life is that no matter what situation I'm put in, I always find a way to win. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that's probably the best example I can give off the top of my head. Alex, I love that. And, and what a great place to piggyback onto that. And to share with folks your biggest piece of intentional encouragement, because again, um, man, your story is just, it, it's, it's incredible. And that's why I wanted to do these podcasts. I wanted to be the person that got to tell the stories that not a lot of people know that, that you, you can't put in a post, you can't put in a video, you can't put in a, in a tweet, 
but you you've got the room here on a podcast to tell your story like that share with this audience as we wrap it up i, I am so grateful for your time today share with this audience your biggest your biggest piece of intentional encouragement choose greatness we spoke a lot today about the things that can't be taught we've talked spoken a lot about the things that are really in an innate in a person and what i'd encourage people to think about is we all get one roll of this dice that we call life you have one opportunity to choose and define your legacy one opportunity to choose and define the person you want to be known for and known as so i would encourage people to choose greatness decide to be a person that is known for and stands by all of the principles that you could stand by and be proud of that is so good that is so good Alex, tell folks how they can connect with you. You and I are connected on LinkedIn, but but share with folks other ways that they can connect with you. Absolutely. I say LinkedIn is number one. I'm, I'm on there on a daily basis. So simply my name, Alex Alain, and you will find me there. Um, secondly is via my website. So www.alexalain.com, all as one word. And you can also email me at contact at alexalain.com. And I'm jotting these down to put in the show notes so that that so you can find that. And and, and again, folks, I, I know you're going to want to connect with Alex Elaine. Alex, my friend, this has been fantastic. I so appreciate you joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Absolute pleasure. Thanks again for having me, Brian. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.